Hard BN. Welcome to another episode of Pod BN Election Edition 2023. In this episode, I talk to Cody Hendricks, who is running for Ward 6. This is another contested race. I had not had a chance to meet Cody before, so I really enjoyed getting to know him and hearing what he was about, and I hope you do as well. Thank you to our sponsor, Lil Beaver Brewery. Lil Beaver is not only great beer, they also have excellent food. They're always tweaking and refining the menu, so it's worth coming back periodically to check out what's going on. Last time I was in, I had the Meat Lover's Pizza. It has pepperoni, sausage, and bacon with a chipotle ranch drizzle. The drizzle was absolutely amazing. Definitely something you need to taste. But if you're on the other side of the culinary spectrum, they also have a variety of vegan, vegetarian, and gluten-free options, which are clearly indicated on the menu. There's also a kid's menu, which reminds me that I like to emphasize that Little Beaver Brewer is family-friendly. Whenever I'm there, there's always people there with children of all ages. Something for every age and preference, Little Beaver Brewery at 5 Finance Drive. All right. I think we're on. Okay. Hi, Cody. How you doing? Hey, pretty good. Good. Thanks for stopping by today. Appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. So how about we just start off and you just tell us a bit about your history in the community. Yeah, so I've lived here since 2016. Um, Prior to that, I was from Pekin. Grew up there my whole life. Um, Wanted to change, wanted something different. Got hired at Olympia High School. Uh, Moved this direction. Um, Yeah, just for really a change. And so, gotten involved in different ways. I served on the Sister City Committee for uh, Normal, because I was living in Normal at the time. So served on that uh, for the Japanese Sister City. Um, and then eventually spent a very short time on the beautification committee. Unfortunately, it was right at the start of COVID, so oh, yeah. didn't really get to do a whole lot with that. Even though it was a, you know, an outside committee, you think we would have done more, but really didn't do a whole lot. But it was still an interesting experience. Um, bought a house in Franklin Park with my partner, Eric. Uh, we've been there three years now. Um, and that has really put us, I mean, in the heart of the city. We're in Franklin Park. You know, we walk through Dimmitz Grove all the time. We're downtown all the time. Um, and, yeah, it's just part of our lives now. Yeah. That's well, a quick move from, uh, I guess it's, you know, six years here, but still relatively quick from being a brand-new person to wanting to serve in this leadership role. So what uh, what got you interested in running for council? Yeah, um, definitely, and that's something I think about <laughs> often. Um, so in Pekin, I served on the city council there. I ran my senior year in high school after being interested in politics and community service and ran there, uh, served one term four years while I went to Eureka College and then didn't run for re-election because with teaching I didn't know where I was going to end up and didn't want to run and resign as people sometimes do. Um, So opted not to run and then unfortunately taught near Beacon so I could have but you know it's just the action of community service and giving back is always interesting to me and local government is not paid attention to the way it should be in my opinion um, and so part of the reason I want to get involved is to be that vocal person who talks about local government in a nerdy way uh, and gets other people to be interested and involved in it too yeah yeah I completely agree one of the big reasons why I spend time doing the podcast here is because of how important local politics is and people uh, affects you so much but we hear but so little about it you yep. gotta really try to be informed right right and I'm a civics teacher, and I'm sure my students get sick of me saying over and over, like, who cares who the president is? <laughs> Do you know who your mayor is? Do you know who your city council person is? Do you know who your village trustee is? They're the ones that are actually affecting you. Like, Joe Biden, 10 years from now, something might trickle down, but in the day-to-day, 
he's not really affecting it. Yeah. Is there something that you use to really help drive that home? Do you teach high school? Yeah. Okay. High school seniors mostly. Are there some examples you use to try to drive that home with people? Um, one of the things that I do, we do each of the levels of local government, which isn't actually a required unit. It's not state state standards. It's not anything, unfortunately. But I kind of start at the township level and work my way up to the state level. And where I'm at, at at Olympia, you know, it's a lot of small towns. And so the most interesting thing has been, you know, we'll talk about what they do. And then I say, okay, let's go look up if they can find, because a lot of the cities out there don't have websites. They have a hard time finding who their reps are. But the best example was um, my superintendent, who I have a really good relationship with, but her sons were looking and they're like, wait a second, uncle so-and-so is a township official. He's a township <laughs> supervisor. Like, they had no idea. It had just never come up. And then they suddenly were blown away, went home, had conversations, and all it took was just that initial, like, oh, I, I do know somebody who does this. Um, so that's been really good and, and really interesting to see that that work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, it's always a... I, I ask because it's always a tough thing for me because I try to have that conversation with people of all ages, and it, it, it seems like you're saying, like, I don't... There are certain things at the national level you need to pay attention to. And it sounds like you're almost making an excuse for being disengaged from that, but trying to contrast it with, no, here it's an example of locally something that happened that affected you that you should know about. Right. Um, And I feel like if we can get them at the, if I can get my students at the local level to pay attention to something, I feel like going up the chain kind of just happens naturally. Yeah. Right? They get that all the time. And yeah, they need to be focused on national issues. Those definitely affect them. But what's affecting them, I always say 15 different ways on their way to school that morning is the thing they should be paying attention to more. Yeah. It's a lot more like following a sports team, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Rooting for the, the Democrats or Republicans in the presidential election. You know, you're, it's right. like rooting for the Cubs in the, in the, versus the White Sox, right? It's like, okay. Um, I mean, I guess like if nobody rooted for them, they probably would be less inclined to play. Right. Um, maybe they wouldn't do as well. They couldn't get their money. But whether you go or not is probably not going to affect the outcome of the game. Right. Where, Which is definitely a balance because yeah. <laughs> we get into the whole electoral college and they're like, why does it matter? And I'm like, okay, no, wait, it still does. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah, definitely. So then um, thinking about local issues, then what are some of the things that are real important to you? Yeah, so uh, my campaign, my team, we're really focusing on, obviously, you know, you, when you campaign, you get those three issues. Um, and so those three main issues that we're really looking at are uh, equitable city services. You know, uh, Ward 6, the way that it's designed now after the redraw, we've got Franklin Park, we've got Dimmitts Grove, so, so historic neighborhoods. We've got uh, sections of the west side, although it's split between 6 and 7. Um, we've got downtown. Um, a lot of those areas haven't received the services over the years that I think that they deserve. And from what I hear as I go door to door, you know, three or four times a week, uh, I hear over and over, like, there are things that, uh, you know, we need work on, whether it be roads, whether it be sidewalks, whether it be obviously the, the sewer systems, which we experienced two years ago with the flooding. You know, those are things that we really need attention to. Um, and it, again, it just needs to be equitable. I'm not looking to get into a fight between wards. It's just, hey, we need some attention here. So that's number one. Uh, number two is just getting back to constituent relationships. Like I said, being that person that likes helping people, likes informing people. I want to be that person that they can call and email. Like I think that just comes from also being a teacher and being accessible. I uh, hear 
all the time. Uh, individuals who do know who their representatives are often feel like they're so far removed from them and they can't figure out ways to get a hold of them. And, you know, that goes up and down depending on who's in the position. But I want to be that person that just call me, text me, email me, whatever it is. We'll figure out uh, a way to connect and figure out how to solve um, whatever issue or crisis is happening. Um, and then finally, downtown is huge to me. Um, I have lots of support of downtown business owners. Um, and I want to see downtown revitalized. I'm excited about the plans. I'm excited about hearing stakeholders who have been having conversations about downtown. I think now is the time for Bloomington to really move forward on downtown. And downtown, you know, some people may look at it and think that, oh, we're pumping all this money into one section of the town, which, sure, I can fully see that. But I think of downtown as being, one, it's a small business developer. It's the economic, in my mind, powerhouse of the city. Um, and if we're able to enhance downtown, one, it would improve quality of life for people around downtown um, and for anybody in Bloomington who wants to come downtown, but it also helps to go back to my first point, which is funding city services. Uh, if we can fund based on bringing in tourism, based on bringing on in events, based on bringing in individuals who are eating, shopping, doing whatever, if we can fund city services through that and not through additional taxes or, or fees to residents, I think that's the perfect way to do it. Yeah. All right. Well, let's take those in order then. Um, so equitable services, one way to, for things to be equitable is, uh, is nine wards, take the budget, divide it up in nine parts, everyone gets one-ninth of everything. Um, I understand that for a while that's how some of the infrastructure money was allocated, um, yeah, but I, don't, I think we can see the gaps in that. For, but let, maybe let's start there. For someone who would consider that to be an attractive and equitable way of doing it, what would you say to them? Um, that's where I get in with my students, the difference between uh, equal and equitable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, sure, we could cut it up equally, and I would see, especially as elected officials, if you are just talking about, yeah, there are the nine wards, let's divide it up. Sure, I could see that, but the aspect of making something equitable is that sometimes different sections of our city need additional focus, additional funding, additional supports to get us on an equal playing field with the other sections of our community and the other um, portions of our, of our city. Um, so, you know, does it need to be equitable forever? Maybe not. But if we can get Ward 6, if we can get these sections of our city that have been not receiving equal and not receiving the equitable amount that they deserve, if we can get them back uh, to where you know, we feel is a good spot, then sure, we can start looking at things a little more equal, but I just want to get to equitable <laughs> first, and then we can go from there. Yeah. Yeah, I've used the analogy of my children. They're, uh, I have three boys. They're all two years apart. Um, whenever my oldest one's in college and my younger two are still at home, we're going to be, well, assuming he goes to college, uh, we're spending a lot more on him than the other ones. Um, that's not uh, a lack of fairness. It, it would be unfair to take how much money I'm spending on the kids and chop it up into thirds and give them each third, right? Right. Um, they're, they're getting what they need at that time. Right. Um, so I, I would think the wards in, in the same way are uh, have different ages and different needs. So mm-hmm. um, ward six, traditionally not a place that's had a lot of investment in it in the last, uh, what, how two decades three decades right so right and and we can see that i mean it is not it's totally unequal if we look at to different sections of the city that we continue to sprawl and continue to need additional sewer lines and additional water lines and additional roads and new sidewalks you know everything brand new and you know 
meeting with different departments and them talking about, hey, if we continue to sprawl to every section of the city, we're going to need a new fire station. We're going to need another police station. We're, mm-hmm. Like, the funding is going to all these areas. We're just asking that in Ward 6, we get some attention now <laughs> to help us out. And, you know, we're not going to lose focus of the other sections of our city, but, you know, just a little focus on 6, yeah. a little bit at least. Yeah. I've heard it said that the... The amount of attention that the government uh, provides to certain, for local government, the amount of attention and where they direct the funds is an indicator to the citizens and to potentially moving there of how much the city values that area. And so when you drive mm-hmm. through places in Ward 6 who have the, haven't seen any love for their sidewalks or streets or um public spaces in the past several decades. And it communicates them to someone, oh, I'm a, I need to open a business on a different part of town. I need to um, invest my own personal funds in a house in a different part of town, right? It's not worth fixing this house up if nothing else is going to be done publicly for it as well, right? Right. Does that yeah. resonate with right. you? Right. Yeah. And if you're a resident and, yeah, you're looking for different areas to move to, sure, you want to go to the new shiny place. Mm-hmm. Uh, it makes sense. It's nobody's fault. But if we can take those sections of town that haven't received that attention and hopefully get it back up to a to a good and adequate point then then yeah hopefully we'll see more the, infill we'll see people private funds come in yep. yeah yeah it's such a shame to see these old um buildings like these beautiful structures that have been not taken care of and um there's one that's all boarded up just right west of i think it's on market street just west of uh downtown i don't know the cross street but man, it just breaks my heart because it's just a beautiful brick building Right. But something happened, and um, no one, it's vacant now. And yeah. gosh, that's the heart of our city. That should be the place where everyone's flocking to invest and to build up things and to repurpose that. Um, but that's not that's not happening, right? Right, right. <laughs> but I do think that there there is a movement for that. And of course, we have to watch because the last thing we want is gentrification. And the last thing mm-hmm. we want are people scooping in and, and taking sections of our city that we've always valued and now they suddenly see maybe there would be a value but i have in talking with different people there are there are vacant buildings around downtown that people are starting to buy because they they see that downtown may get revitalized downtown may get new funding and and infrastructure downtown may get a new connect transit you know building so i have talked to numerous people who have bought some of these buildings and they're like we're going to start renovating because in the next five years this is going to be a totally different place yeah so that's been really exciting to hear too because there are people who are interested and i think the movement is headed in that direction and we just gotta go with it yeah yeah so let's talk about downtown a little bit then um the uh, yeah, someone might say someone uh, might perceive that downtown is uh, struggling and that the real eco- the real center of our town is uh, Veterans Parkway or something <laughs> like that or maybe some of the the expensive new construction uh, further on the east and west. So, how would you respond to people to help you to that kind of if someone's coming from that place? How would you respond to help them see where you're what you're seeing? Yeah, I mean, again, it's hard, and and I know that some of that sort of new growth and new building and big stores and uh, maybe some box stores look nice and there are going to be people who want that but I think what we're seeing not only in Bloomington but in other areas of the country is this getting back to the root of what a downtown is um, and the uniqueness of a downtown and those individuals who 
own businesses downtown have put so much into those locations without a great deal of support, really, um, and live in our community and give back to our community all the time. And I think some of the different sprawl areas, you know, they're, they're the chains that aren't here. Uh, you may like that, oh, I can pick from 30 different fast food restaurants. Great. They don't care about Bloomington. Mm-hmm. Downtown business owners care about Bloomington. Um, and that's why I think the city needs to help them and focus on them rather than how do we give the, you know, the next big box store that comes in a tax abatement or, uh, you know, you know, other incentives. Um, that's not the way that I see, you know, things should work. When I was in Pekin on the city council, we had, you know, Lowe's come to us, Home Depot came to us, Target came to us. If you know anything about Pekin, there's not a whole lot going on. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people called us foolish because they'd come in and they'd want these huge tax breaks. Um, and there were council people who were like, oh, we should do this. This is going to be great for the community. But they didn't pay any attention to downtown, where we had local people who live near the downtown actually doing something that mattered and giving back to our community. So I was always opposed to those sort of big giveaways and handouts. Yeah, yeah. And I know, yeah, um, there are different sections and different groups who want to support that kind of development. Um, but that's just not the development that I want to see as support. Yeah. I would offer to those people that if that was the path of prosperity, we'd be wealthy beyond our wildest dreams because mm-hmm. that's what we've been investing in since yeah, it's there. <laughs> the 80s and 90s, right? Right. So how's it working out? We, we don't have enough money to fund all the things that we would like to fund. Um, the money, the idea was that the money from the sprawl was going to funnel back in to support the core. Right. Where's that money? Right. Um, it's not happening. Right. No. And it <laughs> continues to sprawl, and it continues to yeah. eat more of that money. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's not I've, working. I've, uh, yeah, it's, I've heard it called a Ponzi scheme before, where yeah. if you just keep growing, then the growth will pay for the existing right. stuff. For a certain point, what's paying for it? Right. Um, or yeah. kind of trickle-down economics. Yeah. It <laughs> <laughs> doesn't work. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, the downtown, by contrast, the density of it, the fact that there's commercial and residential mixed mm-hmm. together, um, the fact that so little infrastructure is needed to support so much uh, activity there. Mm-hmm. It's really, a, when I see downtown, I think of, a, like, in the morning after you're camping and there's coal still left in the fire, and really all you have to do is just put some wood on top of it and blow it, and it'll yeah. ignite. It's yeah. there, whereas... Um, Bed Bath & Beyond is leaving. I think that's a normal. I have a hard time telling out there <laughs> what's where. <laughs> Glad but, I'm not the only one. Yeah, Bed Bath & Beyond is leaving. And so, like... Yeah, what's going to yeah, fill it? What's going to fill that in there? Are we going to try to have to pay some kind of incentive for some big business to come in there, too? So, right. Yeah. Right. So what do you think the city should do at downtown? There's some plans out there. I assume you've been familiarizing yourself with it. What's kind of the next step for, for that? Yeah. I mean, with the streetscape proposal that is moving forward and there are individuals who are already in that process and hopefully I think August is when we should get that back you know they're going to combine a lot of plans that the city has done in the past um, whether it be related to biking accessibility um, walkability they're working with the city we're working with the county in regards to the museum and the renovations and changes that they want to do around their space um, you know, working with IDOT and the ring roads that go around downtown. Like, there are so many moving parts. Um, and I don't know exactly what's going to come out of it. I hear lots of different things, and that's kind of the process of stakeholders, and I'm, I'm not one of those that sit in those, so I'm excited to see what they come up with and how they present it. Um, mm-hmm. 
but I think there are so many opportunities that we have downtown. Um, and like I said, I think it could really look like an entirely different place. But my other fear is, I mean, it was only a 5-4 vote um, to get that plan even started to start looking into it. And so I think this election is super important in the decision of whether or not downtown really comes to fruition. Um, you know, we have some people coming off the council who voted in favor of that plan. Um, and depending on how the election goes, I think you could see a flip uh, in a council that maybe doesn't support downtown as much. And so that'd be really disheartening to see a plan come forward with individuals who've been involved in that process. And then each step that actually is action, you know, might be stopped. Mm -hmm. And that's a huge fear of mine uh, with this election. Yeah, yeah. Um, I wasn't familiar, I wasn't aware that anything was being talked about with the state roads that are around it. Do you, do you have any, any more information yeah. on that? Um, I don't know a whole lot, but I know that there's been different talk about, well, I mean, the state's got to come in. It needs a lot of repairs in general. So if we can figure out ways that in the process of those repairs, you know, can the city also dictate kind of how we want those to look? And so there's been lots of people who have talked about road diets. I mean, mm -hmm. there's no reason that we need eight lanes of traffic surrounding our downtown. Yeah. It's super unsafe. Um, my partner and I live in the Franklin Park neighborhood. If we want to walk downtown, there's not really anywhere safe to do that. We just kind of bolt from the BCPA across the road because even if you wait there at, at Locus, you know, there's no designation of where pedestrians can cross because it's not it's not an area for pedestrians to be. You know, if you park at the, at the um, north or south sides in the garages, then you can walk. But if you're trying to get through those eight lanes, four lanes on each side, it's not safe. Um, so I'm hoping that IDOT will work with the city to figure out how to slow traffic, figure out how to make it more pedestrian focused, yeah. which is what a downtown is, rather than a thoroughfare to get people out of our city, uh, doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, I'm glad to hear you. Uh, I'm glad to hear you say that. I, the way that the lights are timed so that if you go 35, it's a racetrack. It's a racetrack. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like it's it's uh, and it literally kills people. Yep. Um, and we just accept a certain amount of death for a few more minutes of convenience of getting. People right. through the town? Through the town. Um, yeah. Through the town. <laughs> Not stopping in the town. Not stopping in Getting there. through the town. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's unsafe if you attempt to drive slow. I mean, people whip through the lane. So even if you're doing, if you don't keep up with the flow of traffic, it's also unsafe. So it's unsafe for drivers uh, also. But yeah. pedestrians, obviously, are the ones we really should be focused on. Yeah. It's a different state road, but, and also a different area of town. But I, um, veterans is really a... a it, should, it could effectively just be a moat, a moat when it comes to pedestrians, right? It might as well be a river. Mm -hmm. um, my son has a bunch of friends that are across veterans from us, and he would love to ride his bike over to visit them, but I, I just don't know that I could ever get comfortable with him riding yeah. his bike across there. So then I'm, no. <laughs> then I have to like get in the car and drive like five minutes just to get over, or, or, or go with him. You know, I do that sometimes, but um, yeah, that. Uh, I know you don't have children, but we as parents get criticized for not giving our children more independence. Well, there's only so far they can go before they hit one of these busy roads, and they're, you know, and then yep. if they get hit by a car, everyone's like, oh, where were the parents? Why weren't they watching, right? right. So <laughs> maybe if we design safer areas that people can play in, yeah. then, uh, then we can be more, you know, like things used to be in the good old days, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think we've shifted so much of our community focus on, yeah, speed and car-centric. Like, that's, that's really what the focus is. Um, 
unlike the old days, yeah. <laughs> you know, where there may have been more of attention on neighborhoods and communities and, and connecting those to make it safe uh, yeah. for individuals to walk. And I think we've totally disregarded that. Yeah. And that's what's cool about Ward 6 is that that large parts of Ward 6 were made um, prior to World War II and we started really leaning into that. So you can see the the potential there. Oh, right? yeah. yeah. Absolutely. You can see the, the wealth that can ease, has been built there that we can still leverage. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. yeah, I think it'll just take a few changes and yeah, it'll be so much better. Cool. Um, so can you tell me about some times when you really wished you had been on council in the last few years? You mentioned the downtown vote, I'm sure. Um, like, when, What were those issues that came up when you're just like, oh, my gosh, I just... I wish I could be there trying to influence and have that seat at the table. Um, yeah, I, I would say downtown, obviously, is one of them. Thank goodness it passed. Again, 5-4, but it definitely was right up to that moment. There's a lot of confusion of how that vote was taking place, which is always concerning to me, too, if, if we're not sure how to do that proper procedure. Um, so that was concerning uh, to me. You know, if I think just recently... Um, I know there was the big hassle with the federal lobbyist, and I can understand some of the uh, council members who were opposed to that sort of vote, but, you know, I think unfortunately it is kind of the game that we play that we do need lobbyists, and if we do really, you know, care and focus on our community, we need somebody there who's advocating for us. So mm-hmm. that was kind of a mess when that whole vote went down, and it, it failed, and then it came back, and a couple of the older people didn't know how they were voting or what they were voting on exactly. Um, so to me, just being kind of a knowledgeable alder person who is prepared and ready for those meetings in many situations yeah. <laughs> have caused me a lot of frustration just watching how that kind of works. Yeah. And we had that in Pekin too, but, um, and I'm sure it happens everywhere, but you know, if, that, if that kind of is the face of our city, the alder people being able to interact, I think it needs to be presented in the best way possible. Yeah. Uh, What'd you learn from Pekin on how to navigate those types of things uh, smoothly once you get to the council meeting? Pekin was an entirely different beast. Okay, okay. <laughs> uh, coming to the Bloomington meetings has been entirely different, and Pekin, unfortunately, from what I hear, has only kind of gotten worse. Um, but, you know, in Pekin, we we had a lot of individuals who had kind of taken over the system in some ways. They uh, used their speaking time and stuff in such a way to, to, to stop a lot of work. So what I really appreciate about Bloomington is that they do get a lot of work done. Um, and I think a lot of that also deals with the city manager, in my opinion. And I, uh, you know, I think we have a really great city manager in Tim Gleason. I'm also biased because he was a Pekin police officer when he, okay, you uh, know. <laughs> when he was on the, when I was on the city council. Um, so, I think he, he runs things really well. And in Pekin, we had so much turnover. And I think it can become easy to not recognize when you have a really great city manager. I think in my four years in Pekin, we had three different city managers. Um, and so we really didn't get a whole lot done. There was so much turnover. There was so much infighting. There was so much... Um, uh, so many council members who didn't understand that you know they hire the city manager and the city manager hires all the rest of the employees. Mm-hmm. So they would want to get involved in areas that they really didn't need to get involved okay. in. Okay. And they would also bring up questions in meetings just to stump people and cause issues. So 
I learned a lot through that process. Uh, became very good friends with the mayor because she and I tried to kind of get things on track, but unfortunately, I don't know that we really did uh, a whole lot of that. So, so turning your attention to what you do in Bloomington, then um, let's say that you had an issue where you weren't happy with what a member of staff had put forward, or you didn't agree with uh, the way something was being handled. How would you approach that? Yeah, so I think a lot of that happens before you get to the meetings, and I think that sometimes is the disconnect between being a person in the audience and being somebody on the council, and sometimes, and I think maybe we don't do a good job of explaining that, like, you shouldn't be coming to a a meeting to throw a curveball at a staff member, right? They are staff members who hopefully are experts in the field, who know what they're doing, who have gone through lots of different processes to get to this point. Um, And so a lot of those conversations should be happening before the actual vote takes place. And I think, you know, as a council person, you can explain, like, here are the questions that I asked, and, hey, staff member, could you answer them for me just so that the public is aware of that? Yeah. Um, But, again, if I had some sort of issue, you know, my first person would be to go to the city manager because at the end of the day, those city staff are his employees. Um, If we are really upset about something, we we need to be upset with our employee, which is the city manager. and then hopefully, and, and Tim and I have a really good relationship, um, you know, hopefully he would be like, okay, let's set up a meeting with this particular city staff person or with this particular plan and, and talk it out, right? That's how it should happen. Yeah. Um, I don't think council meetings need to be a spectacle for people to come and, and see fighting or, or bickering or gotcha moments. Um, yeah. That's not how good government works. Yeah, it's a, there, there's a place for activism and raising awareness of concerns, but the council meetings ideally wouldn't be those. That seems like the last resort, right? If right. you just really can't get anything done, then your last Hail Mary is, I'm going to complain at the council meeting about something, and maybe it'll get some news coverage, and maybe someone will do something about it. But yeah. when you have a position where you actually have a vote, then seems uh, rare that you would reach such a <laughs> it should be rare if you play your cards right that you reach such a position where you have to do that right right um, yeah. because I feel like I mean city staff and the city manager are not there to cause issues to they're like they want to be part of this process they they're in this field because they do believe in local government they do believe in the work that the city does and mm-hmm. so I think if you just start a conversation you know that's the best way rather than go to a council meeting and yeah. try to blow things up. Yeah. Um, you mentioned you, so you have experience with different city managers. Um, what do you think makes for a good city manager? What would you look for? Let's say Tim found another opportunity. What would you be looking yeah. for in someone who, to replace him? Yeah. It's um, a good question because I've been through a lot of those interviews. Um, you know, I like a city manager who is kind of proactive rather than reactive. Um, we had some of that in Pekin where, where everything was just putting out the next fire. Um, so I like to see a city manager who is proactive. I like to see a city manager who works with all council members to ensure that voices are heard, to ensure that there's consensus. Um, you know, compromise is okay uh, sometimes, and, and that should be part of the process. Um, you know, and somebody obviously who has good rapport with city staff is also important, mm-hmm. um, and also somebody who works with city staff when it comes to you know bargaining agreements and, and contracts i'm a union president at my school and so i believe in the in the work of unions and um you know i think tim has also done a great job of that so which i've heard has not always been the case so mm-hmm. it's refreshing to see that and i would want to see somebody who also would continue that sort of work as well yeah yeah it's a good answer <laughs> yeah um 
Yeah, what, what it reminds me of when you're talking about the, the work that goes on outside of council, I'm on the planning commission, and I've learned that through my work on the commission, too, that um, coming in loaded with a bunch of questions uh, is really not the best way to get anything done. Right. You're trying to do your best to give people a heads up in the meantime, uh, whether that be your, your peers on the, the body or the people who are presenting. Um, mm-hmm. There's a there's a quote from a song I like. True friends stab you in the front, so it doesn't mean necessarily that you have to just like be fuzzy happy and get along with everyone all right. the time. But I I mean I think you can put yourself in so much. Hey, just so you know, I'm going to vote against this thing. I'm here are my reasons why, and I'm going to say these things so you mm-hmm. can be prepared. That's what I'm going to say. Or um, I'm really struggling with this. And I get that we can't do anything about it, but I'm still going to make a statement to that effect because I think it's important that that's on the record. Right. Okay. They can get their minds around it. They're not caught off guard, you know, and upset at the time that they feel like they're being right. singled out. Right. Right. Um, so, uh, yeah, it, it helps things run a lot smoother that yeah. way. <laughs> well, and you know, you know, sometimes people will say like, oh, it's just rubber stamps. And I don't think that's the way, and I'm sure you see this with the planning commission. Like, you're, you're part of the process of those things. It's not as though they just show up and they go, here it is, vote yes or no. Like, you're part of that whole process yeah. that goes into it. It's not just that final vote where you say yes or no to something. Mm-hmm. So I've heard different people say, well, it's just a rubber stamp. But it's not. There's so much work that goes on until you get to that final vote, which is just kind of the wrapping up of the legality Oftentimes, unless you know you are that member who says like I've been opposed to this the whole step of the way, and yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna say that. Yeah. Um, and as a as a alder person, that's important too because at the end of the day, you do answer to your constituents, so they need to be aware of why you're voting the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That yeah, you're voting. I, I really appreciate that when council members, if they if they're uh, in the minority, well, just I'm, when people explain their vote, I always mm-hmm. really appreciate that. Because yep. even if you disagree with the person, you can understand where they're coming from a lot of times, right? You right. know, hey, I uh, think this is a great idea, but um, the funding source we're using for it is not the funding source that I would prefer that we use. And so until there's a better way to fund it, I'm going to have to unfortunately vote against it. Yep. Okay. As opposed to just like, no, then you can. Right. And then you just assume have no whatever idea. you want. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, so what have you learned through running for office? Ooh, a lot. <laughs> um, you know, one of the things that I really appreciate uh, about running for office is just the ability to meet with different people. Um, same with door-to-door. I was just talking to somebody the other day. You know, if, it's, if there's a street that is not your way to work or your way to the store or your way to, you know, wherever that you typically go, you're never going to turn down that other street. And so going door to door, you know, I'll turn a corner. I'll be like, ah, I have never been down this road. I have never seen these houses. I didn't know that there was a mural here. I didn't, you know, you learn so much about your community and it may be two streets away, but you just, you never happened down that section of town. So that's been really cool. Um, getting to know the community better, getting to know the city better. Um, uh, I would say, you know, when I ran in Pekin, we ran at large, um, throughout the whole city. Here in Bloomington, we run in wards, and so that's been interesting, too, because it is such a small voting population of yeah. you know, eight, 9,000 people in a ward, um, and then only a couple hundred of them vote, which is always depressing. <laughs> so that's been interesting, too, you know, running in a section of a city as opposed to the entirety of the city, uh, like I previously had. Um, and then, you know, you brought up that I haven't been here super long, and that's true, and that's something that's always in the back of my head, because when I ran in Pekin, 
I had lived my whole life there. Like I knew not everything. As a teenager running at 18, I sure thought I did, but <laughs> I, I knew Pekin really, really well. And there are definitely, you know, sections of Bloomington that I don't know everything about. And I have run into some of the history aspect, although I think it's kind of a positive. You know, I don't know the whole east side versus west side. I don't know the history Bloomington versus normal. Like I don't have kind of that baggage, which I think is nice because I just go into a situation I'm like, we should do this. And it's like, oh, there's there's some history here which is, you know, competitive in nature, which I don't think it needs to be. So I'm hoping that that works uh, in my favor. But I've seen that along the campaign trail, the, the competitive aspects of different sections of the city and between wards uh, as well. So, you know, I would say that those are the major things that I've learned thus far and still got 36 days to go. Yeah. <laughs> Have you had a chance to meet with any city staff members or current council members? Yeah, um, I have met with quite a few council members. Julia Mick has been extremely helpful uh, through the process. Um, I've met with past council members as well, uh, Karen Schmidt and Jamie Matthey and mm-hmm. Jeff Craybill and Tom Crumpler. And yeah, I've been making the rounds and I'm definitely somebody who likes to listen a lot, <laughs> a lot more than I necessarily like to speak. Um, I like hearing from diverse groups um, before I make decisions. Um, And so that's been really helpful to go to all these different individuals and hear their particular takes on on different topics. Uh, I wouldn't be able to do this without them or without a team. And, uh, you know, I think that's crucial to running for office. Yeah. Is there anyone on council who you feel like... um, that you particularly agree with or like somebody who, yeah, I, I'd like to govern like they do, or Mm -hmm. maybe another way, if, if you are elected, then people would expect you to have a similar type of, uh, demeanor or perspective as this person. Yeah. Um, I would probably say Julie Imig. Okay. Um, I think I find Julie to be exceptionally intelligent, level-headed, a pulse on kind of the community nonprofit realms. Um, it helps that she's the head of the history museum. I'm a history teacher. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, there is that sort of aspect. Um, and, yeah, I, I just think that Julie, you know, she's, she's somebody who does her homework, shows up, and, and, you know, knows what she's doing when she's there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so what you're describing to me takes a tremendous amount of time. So first, thank you for being willing to step up. I like to thank everyone. Uh who runs for council because not only is it just I mean technically you get paid but let's just basically don't Um, you're taking on a non-paid part-time job effectively opening yourself up to a lot of criticism and a lot of a lot of conflict a lot of unpleasantness Uh, you've already done it before so you know what you're getting yourself into right Um, and then also one of your values being that you wanted to be more responsive to you want to make sure you're available and responsive to people so uh this is a lot of time. Mm-hmm. How are you? Uh, how do you handle that? <laughs> it is a <laughs> and lot. And you're of teaching time. on top of it. Yes, you have like an actual real job. Right, right. And not a not an undemanding job with that too. So yeah. What do you do to kind of keep yourself sane and focused? Ah, uh, that's a great question. <laughs> and I don't know. I don't know that I have the the best answer. Um, the nice thing is I am. I'm somebody who is pretty extroverted. I, I would say I'm kind of an introverted extrovert. Like, I like being out and doing things, um, but there are definitely times where I like to be out in a crowd, but also kind of to myself in sort of in a sort of way. Okay. Um, 
So being out and about, doing different things, doing activities, you know, I kind of feed off of that. My partner, complete opposite. So it's been interesting for him through this process because uh-huh. uh, he'd rather be the homebody. Um, so we kind of level each other out uh, in that regard. But yeah, just a lot of support, a lot of good friends. And, and I have a fantastic team uh, uh, of volunteers and friends who have really done a lot. Like, yeah, I'm out there door to door. I'm, you know, at podcasts and those sorts of things. But really the behind the scenes and the immense work that my campaign does, could never thank them enough for. Uh, it, it would be really, really challenging uh, to do all of this um, without them. And looking back to my former race, which I was much younger, so I had a lot more energy. Uh, and I did that one almost entirely on my own. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine if I were to do that again, uh, <laughs> it would not be successful. So yeah, yeah, it is a lot, but yeah, I think uh, I think every extrovert needs an introvert in their life. Yeah. Uh, my wife is the same way. Uh, she pulls me in the other direction, so I make sure she occasionally uh, comes out of the house and doesn't just read books all the time. And yep. she makes sure that I actually spend some time at home yep. and uh, and uh, have some have some time to reflection and rest as well. Yep. Uh, I yeah definitely need that. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, so we got a little bit more time here. Uh, is there any other topic that you feel like is important to talk about or touch on? Um, I can, I can, I can always talk more about downtown, but yeah. is there something else in your mind that you feel like is important? Um, you know, the one thing that I keep bringing up usually at the end of interviews and they're like, anything else uh-huh. uh, has been the aspects of infill housing, which yeah. I think is super important in yeah. ward six. You know, we talk about sprawl ward six, isn't going to sprawl. Uh, we're kind of, we're landlocked, uh, where we're at. So, you know, I think infill housing is super important and I've, you know, had lots of individuals who have given me a lot of information, which I super appreciate related to infill housing. But, you know, I think Ward 6 has a lot of potential to continue to grow, even though we are, you know, kind of that landlock, we're not going to sprawl and go anywhere else. So infill housing has been super important to me, um, you know, there's been different work done for accessory dwelling units that Noah Tang has done amazing work with uh, and with his group. Um, but there's other aspects that I've been trying to pitch to other individuals as well related to, you know, what sort of incentives can we give to developers to develop here rather than to build a new subdivision? Yeah. Um, yeah. An actual infill housing, not new subdivision and we annex a section of the city and we call it infill. Yes. Not yes. that that's you know, pointed <laughs> at anybody, but... Um, you know, I think we have great opportunities, and so and, and and we have good buildings as well. So I'm excited to see what the city does with the new uh, vacant property ordinance. We'll see. I think there's going to be a lot of learning through that process. Um, but I think you know there's other uh, incentives and tools that we can do. I think one of the coolest one is related to having pre-developed plans, and you're on the planning commission. So yeah. you know, if we can find a way to have housing plans ready and available so that when developers show up and they want to just build because that's their job you know we have these plans that are ready that they're specific to neighborhoods you know if you're building in franklin park versus dimitz grove versus the west side like we want to continue to have that neighborhood feel that likeness um and so you know i think that would be a really cool step is to look at how can we get multiple different plans and multiple different styles of homes ready for different sections of our city, especially within Ward 6, um, so that they can do that. Yeah. But there's other incentives like potentially waiving of liens on properties, potentially waiving sewage hookup fees if, if a new development comes in. Um, 
and then starting different, you know, alliances. Not that we need one more committee, but, you know, if we can get people at the table who are really interested in this sort of work, I think we should always capitalize and lean on that. So I'm excited to see, and I think that's obviously getting talked about a lot more, which is why I want to continue that conversation so that we don't forget about it um, and, and see what we can do. Yeah, I've, I'm glad to hear that you're talking about that. Something's very important to me. I've been very vocal about it. I was, there was a, went on GLT and talked about it one time, the importance of it. And, um, and yeah, I um, typically don't like to talk about a lot about planning commission on this, but I was all very, that was all public and I was very open about this. Um, when Quick, Quick Trip came in, there was basically no way for us to say no to that. Like, everything is set up, and that's not residential, but there's a residential aspect of it that they set up by building a big pipe down there. And then it's going to be like, oh, there's already a pipe there. It's infill. Right. It's on the other side of the interstate, right next to the interstate. Like, it's not infill. It's, yeah. um, but, man, the whole system and everything is just set up where that's the way you build new stuff. You take a cornfield, you turn it into a big new thing, you build a bunch of new infrastructure, and when someone asks you how you're going to pay for that infrastructure, no one has an answer for it, and right. they get irritated with you. <laughs> right. um, I actually asked that developer three times what the cost of the infrastructure liability they were transitioning to the city was, and they refused to answer the question. So, um, so yeah. yeah, there's there's things that can be done. When, people, when you say incentives, like mm-hmm. people think money, and right. that is something. Yeah. But just, I love the idea of... a a set plan that someone could pick up and do, right? right? Just start building. <laughs> There's vacant lots around in yep. Ward 4 and Ward 6 where mm-hmm. people could easily build a structure there. We have a housing need. It increases, like, the city basically pays no additional money for it, Right. gets additional revenue out of it, like... And helps just, with the housing shortage that we're facing. And Yeah, it's like everyone wins in that situation, yeah. except it's just uh, such an uphill battle to do. It's so expensive, unnecessarily expensive to do. So, right. um yeah, I'll get off my soapbox now because it's right. your podcast. But <laughs> no. yeah, just to affirm, like, yeah. keep pushing on that. And infill, like, meaning actual, actual infill. infill. Yeah. Yeah. It never came up. Um, I was hoping that we would do some more work on this. Jamie Matthew brought it up. Mm-hmm. But then after he left, it kind of fell off. Right. But I, we need a better definition of infill because yeah. infill is defined in our comp plan as being... Um, something that's already platted basically gotcha. so if some if they build new houses out in um the grove mm-hmm. that's considered infill because it was already planned it's, it's like there. well yeah yeah it's wait or like way out in ward two the most southwesternly houses that are being built right now are considered infill right no. there's gonna be some <laughs> it's it's not it's something but it's not that right. so yeah right. yeah keep pushing on that for sure yep. it's important and I think, I think also looking at zoning codes is also super important. And I'm excited to see that the council at their upcoming meeting, they're looking at having commissions be able to make recommendations for modifications to zoning before yeah. it comes to the council, which I think is a great first step to start to review all of those to see, are these actually necessary? Yeah. Um, yeah. Or do they hinder growth? Yeah. Cool. Um, so uh, let me see. Go to, well, I guess I'll just ask you now um, if people want to learn more about your campaign, if they want to support you, they want to um, 
follow you on different things? Where should they go to? Oh, great question. Yeah, so I am on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. I think if you just search Cody Hendricks for Ward 6, I believe. Uh, my website, Cody Hendricks for Council, uh, is also a great uh, stop you know, that you can go to. Uh, you can see endorsements on there uh, for different references that I have from you know, State Senator Dave Kaler, State Representative Sharon Chung, uh, County board members, uh, Jeannie Biles and Leah Klein. I've got downtown business owners, you know, Lucas, the Bistro, Von Champs, uh, Vera and Buck. Like, I've got all these different people. So if you're looking for somebody who can kind of vouch for me, that's a good place uh, to look. Okay. Um, And also, email. uh, I think it's CodyHendricksForCouncil at gmail.com. All right. So try to be as accessible as possible. Yeah. Appreciate that. Um, good luck on how many days? You, uh, I think we're at thirty-seven. Thirty-seven. So look this morning. I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of phase these in over time, so it'll yeah. be it'll be fewer by the time people are listening to this. And, uh, so just hold on. We're almost there. Yep. Uh, drink plenty of drink plenty of liquids. Stay oh, hydrated. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Take care of yourself. Absolutely. Um, yep. Yeah. Thanks for stopping by. Okay. Thank you.